big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin this week's episode, we want to thank our newest patrons, Emily and Marie. Welcome to the team. And a special shout out to our patron, Amy, who upgraded their pledge. If you missed our March live stream, the playback is available to estate and pod squad level patrons. If you want access to that, plus more bonus content like outtakes, our notes, and Jane Austen fun facts, head on over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice. In case you're new here, just a reminder, this is a spoiler-free podcast. I, Molly, have never read this book before. If you have something you want to tell us that might be even remotely spoilery for this or any Austen novel, aside from Pride and Prejudice, you can send it to our email, podandprejudice at gmail.com, with spoilers in the subject line. And now, enjoy this week's episode covering chapters four through six of Sense and Sensibility. We've been getting also a lot of nice messages on Instagram from other people as well. Oh, really? Like what? Hello. I absolutely adore the podcast. It's one of the main things getting me through the lockdowns in my country. So thank you so much. I just thought I'd send this amazing Tumblr thread of the PNP characters reacting to quarantine. And then the Tumblr thread. Oh, I saw that Tumblr thread. Yeah, it's a good one. The Darcy one is iconic. Darcy is an impact and he hasn't left his house in months. Weeks. He hasn't left his house in weeks. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, he has a pretty big house. Oh, yeah. If I lived in Netherfield, I wouldn't leave either, even if there wasn't a pandemic. Sometimes I think back to that first week of the pandemic. Like, I used to live in a three-bedroom apartment in the middle of Brooklyn. I had two roommates. I got along with them well. And I just was out every day. I was out doing things. I was busy. I had like a small bedroom, but I didn't care. And then the day the pandemic hit, I was just stuck in my apartment. And I was like, I, I, how am I going to be here for, for weeks? Yeah. I can't, I mean, I'm living with my mom, but I could not imagine having roommates during this, like aside from my mom and my dog. I haven't really had roommates since July because my roommates both moved out like home to their families. And so then, then I moved into a a one bedroom apartment. So now I have no roommates, but I'm mostly just jacked up with like, yeah, like everyone's got their one quarantine buddy slash dog. Anyway, I'm excited to talk about these chapters, which I read out loud to my dog today and posted a video of it on our Instagram story. (laughs) I saw that was very cute. So should we Becca Molly into this? Yes, let's do it. This is Becca. This is Molly. We're here to talk about Jane Austen. Yes, we are. We are specifically here to talk about chapters... Four through six. Four through six of Sense and Sensibility by our girl Jane Austen. You're so used to the movie episodes. I know. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to have to say a lot of things. And then I'm like, of the book. We're back on a book. It's pretty straightforward. We actually just read a different book, which is the cozy classics version of 
Pride and Prejudice. Can't recommend it enough, listeners. It's so good. And if you want to hear us read that book out loud, you can head on over to our Patreon at the $7 tier. And I can guarantee you it's worth it. So (laughs) It's a good time. So how are you feeling so far about Sense and Sensibility, Molly? All right. A few things. I did, in fact, remember who the other actors in this movie were because I think in episode one, I was like, it's Kate Winslet and Hugh Grant. And I I remembered that Alan Rickman is also in it. And I saw a picture of the cover and I realized that Emma Emma, (laughs) Emma Watson, what's her name? Emma Thompson is also in this movie. And so now I... And putting faces to characters, which I shouldn't, I wish I wasn't doing. To be fair, you were doing that in Pride and Prejudice too, but every man was just Colin Firth. Yes. And there are significantly more characters in this story than just the four played by those very famous actors. Okay. And so you're, you're you still have surprises ahead on the horizon. Good. And I mean, I don't technically know who plays who. I know that Hugh Grant plays Eddie, I think. Um, My guess is that Eleanor is going to be played by Emma Thompson and Marianne is going to be played by Kate Winslet just because I think of Kate Winslet as like sprightly and energetic. And I think of Emma Thompson as kind of like calm and and steady. However, I'm also picturing them both as like 45 year olds. So like they could be totally different in this. Oh boy. Yeah, that that's very fair. I, I'll say this much about Emma Thompson and it's not really giving anything away. Uh, if there is one actress I aspire to be in terms of personality, talent, accomplishments. It's probably Emma Thompson. Oh, same. My favorite story about Emma Thompson, Haley Atwell told the story in an interview once. She was talking about method acting and like getting really into roles and stuff. And she was talking about how a lot of actors are really big personalities. And she said, oh, I I thought maybe if I have to be serious about my craft, I have to lose myself in the role, go this really far distance and maybe like make myself emotionally or mentally unstable then I worked with Emma Thompson and I was like oh she's the best in the business and she's this totally normal person I love that love her also another story about her and Haley Atwell Haley Atwell was once in a movie and the director told her she had to lose weight for it and Emma Thompson this was the same movie she she was working with Emma Thompson who had her over for dinner that night and Haley Atwell wasn't really eating her food and Emma Thompson's like, what's going on? And she was like, oh, I have to lose weight for the role. Emma Thompson, who was the top build on the movie, called up and was like, hey, I'm dropping this movie if you make her lose weight. Oh, that actually makes me want to cry. We stan Emma Thompson. She's Emma Thompson is my hero. Truly fantastic. There's a great video of her. I, I promise I'll stop gushing about Emma Thompson soon. But Don't. Honestly, don't. There's a video of her going up to, I believe, receive a Golden Globe. And she's got a drink in one hand and her heels in the other. And so she doesn't have a hand for the award. So she looks at the camera and just throws her heels behind her (laughs) and takes the award. (laughs) You know, okay. Wow. She is such a queen. First of all, it just seems like her personality is the best, especially based on those stories. But then also like the range on this woman. The range. Professor Trelawney. To the love actually. To love actually. Like you just... Oh, even within Love Actually. Oh, she's... Uh, yeah. Oh, man. 
best part of that movie. That is like the the closest I will get to hero worshiping an actor is Emma Thompson. Love her. I agree. I think I I have tweeted before I want to be Emma Thompson when I grow up. I have posted that. If we haven't creeped you out too much, Emma Thompson, if you want to come on this <laughs> podcast. You know what? I'll reach out. I'll reach out to her people. Slide into those DMs. <laughs> Hey, it's worked for me so far. That's true. That's true. (laughs) All of our guests, we love you just as much. Yeah. And I want to be clear, just as much as we love Emma Thompson. Totally. You're all Emma Thompson to us. All right. Should we talk about this book starring Emma Thompson? Yes, we should. (laughs) All right. Let's begin. Okay. The chapter four. We start with Marianne and Eleanor discussing our boy Eddie's taste. And Marianne says it's pretty sad that he has no taste. And Eleanor is like, uh, yes, he does. He doesn't draw himself, but he appreciates good art. And she says, had he ever been in the way of learning, I think he would have drawn very well, which reminiscent of our girl, Lady Catherine de Bourgh. Sorry, you didn't say it right. I'm sorry. Reminiscent of our girl, Lady Catherine de Bourgh. There you go. So the I read this more as like when you're dating a guy and you tell your friend that he doesn't look like that in real life. Like you pull up your Facebook and you're like, he just doesn't look good in photos. He is the guy who has the photo on his Facebook and on his Tinder and on his Instagram, all of which are just him at like a christening with his aunt. And his sister took it. And the flash went off and it like it looks fine. But his aunt thinks he looks really handsome in that photo. And you like meet him in real life and you're like, oh, you're really cute. Don't take photos of yourself. (laughs) Yeah. That's the energy I get from this. Sure. Yeah. It's very much like Marianne is like, um, I haven't gotten that vibe that you're getting. And Eleanor's like, no, 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 I swear. There were a few words. We're back on our words that Molly has to look up game listeners. There are some words in this that were used repeatedly. One of them was approbation, which I could get from context clues, but I looked it up anyway. It means approval or praise. So anyway. Marianne sees as Eleanor is heaping this praise on our boy. Marianne's like, oh, love has blinded her. I see. I see. Eleanor says that Marianne can't really think that Eddie has poor taste because she's incapable of treating people well if she thinks badly of them. And Marianne is like, you know what? I'm sure it's just because I don't know him as well as you do. Another note that I made is... I wonder how many times the word sense is used because in this part, Marianne says that she can see that he has plenty of sense and all of this. So I looked it up and it's only used 41 times and sensibility is only used 15 times. I guess the 41 is a lot. but <laughs> Well, if you think about it, they didn't say pride and prejudice that much in the books. It's in the title. Got it. It's really more about like the dynamics between the characters telling you which characters carry those traits. Okay. So I think the other thing about it is that like this scene with Marianne, she kind of is acting like Eddie is like, she likes Eddie, but he's like her older sister's dorky boyfriend. Yeah. It's very cute. Yeah, it is very cute. So Eleanor says that he really improves when you get to know him. He's really shy at first. He's not that striking and all of this stuff, but He's really handsome if you get to know his eyes and the sweetness of his countenance. And it's it's very sweet. And she says, you know, I know him so well that I almost find him handsome. First of all, a little negging on the part of our girl, Ellie. <laughs> Second of all, I love this sentiment because the idea that like, we talked about this a bit with Darcy and Lizzie, but the idea that like, you can't know if you're attracted to someone right away because 
you could think someone's kind of like okay looking or fine or whatever, but then see them get like really excited to talk about something they're passionate about or make a face when you say something stupid that they think is kind of funny. That face they make and you're like, oh, I'm attracted to you. You know what I mean? When you start to see the light behind their eyes. Yeah. Is that too sappy? That's pretty sappy, but you're allowed. (laughs) Wow, that's really cute. And yes, I agree. Jane Austen gets to the heart of that here. Then Marianne says that she's pretty sure that once they're married, she will see how great he is. And this Eleanor just like shuts down. She freaks out at this. She knows how Marianne and her mom can be. And she doesn't want to give them like false hopes slash. I don't think she wants the pressure of their expectations on her, especially because she doesn't have any money and he does. And it would be awkward, I think, if her parents were like, Date my daughter. I don't know. Is it time for the lecture? Yeah, Becca's cracking her her knuckles. She's cracking her neck. She you you need like a tumbler of whiskey to clink around. A cup of peppermint tea will have to do. <laughs> so the economics of dating in Jane Austen. <laughs> you know we need we need a theme song for the economics of dating in Jane Austen. We just need like a sting, like a sound. Yeah, like a. Like a ka-ching. Oh, a ka-ching. That makes sense. I was thinking like bells, but money sign. Oh, you went dating. I went economics. Yes, yes. The economics <laughs> of dating. It could be a combo. Graham, you know, we'll give you creative liberty. Go creative for license, it. yeah. Paint the sky red. <laughs> yeah. Do whatever. Yeah. Don't do not do whatever. Don't give us like a, like a fart sound or something. We do plenty of that on our own. Uh, <laughs> he's going to give us a fart sound now. So Eleanor is worried. Because she obviously has this attraction to Eddie. And she can feel that Eddie has this attraction to her. And unlike the Bennett girls in Pride and Prejudice, she's already lost everything. Like them, she doesn't really have a dowry, but like she's in dire straits. So she is too pragmatic to think she has a shot with this guy. That's really sad. Yeah. But that also says a lot about her as a person. She's kind of a Jane Charlotte Lucas mashup a little bit. Like, she's not romantic. She has a lot of... Uh... Sense? It's in the title. It's in the title. Actually, yeah, the, the original title of this book was actually Eleanor and Marianne. So is that a spoiler, listeners? I don't think that's a spoiler. I don't think it's a spoiler at this point because we talked about in the last episode, you asked me who do I think these words are referring to? And... I don't remember what I guessed, but I think I was right. Or did I think that Eleanor was sense and Eddie was sensibility? I don't remember what I thought, but either way. So Eleanor is sense and Marianne is sensibility. So Eleanor is a lot like Charlotte Lucas in being pragmatic in life, but not entirely. She has the romanticism of Jane. There's a couple of reasons why. I think one part of it is that Eleanor is not jaded the way that Charlotte's jaded because Eleanor is not plain. Eleanor is young and beautiful. She's very marriageable in the romantic sense, just not in the economic sense. Got it. So she could make her way to a sensible match and she can think about affection just like a highfalutin match might be out of her range. Gotcha, gotcha. You know what's frustrating about the words sense and sensibility? They're so similar. They're so similar and sensible is the other version, like the adjective version of sense of sense and it sounds like sensibility but sensitive would be the sensibility i actually googled this because i wasn't sure and 
I think that the words sense and sensibility have evolved a little bit over time, mm-hmm. which is why it's so confusing for us nowadays. That makes sense. Does it make sensibility? No, it definitely makes sense. It does not make sensibility. But sensible, like you would say, I'm very sensible, but that would mean I have good sense. Like shoes are sensible when they make sense to wear them in that weather. Whereas I think like Marianne and sensibility, like we think of that as sensitivity today. Yes. But but they talk about her sensibilities. And to me, it means something different than her sensitivities because she also experiences joy to the utmost. It's not just like, I'm grieving, so I'm wailing and I'm talking to the trees, which she does in this chapter. Absolutely. I think I think of sensitivity not in the terms of being too touchy. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of sensitivity in terms of being in touch with emotions. Yes, she is in touch with her emotions. And being hard on your sleeve, being driven uh, heart first, not head first. Yeah. I guess Margaret's got to be driven gut first. <laughs> yes. So, okay, so something else that this makes me think of then is the title refers so Pride and Prejudice referred to Lizzie and Darcy because ultimately it was Lizzie and Darcy's story and this title refers to Eleanor and Marianne so then are we going to follow both of them getting coupled off because I was trying to figure that out in the first episode like who am I supposed to be focusing on and I thought it was going to be Marianne we're going to get to that in the study questions okay great. so I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little pin in there a little hairpin and we're gonna go back to it excellent so where were we Eleanor tells Marianne to chill out. She says, you know, I I like him and I esteem him. And then Marianne, this is one of my favorite moments. Marianne basically claps a hand to her forehead and says, how dare you say you like and esteem him? Get out of my house. (laughs) Marianne is a queen of drama. She loves, she loves a little like fainting couch moment she literally the exact quote is use those words again and i will leave the room this moment (laughs) she says that saying that is the most cold-hearted thing that eleanor could say which is funny because it's it's a nice thing to say but she's saying it's cold-hearted because it's not the extreme love that she wants her to feel it's like you're going between your two friends and one of them's like i think i'm in love with him i can't stop thinking about him i can't eat i can't sleep and the other friend's feeling a lot of that stuff but he's like yeah he's he's cool i, I like it yeah you know exactly <laughs> you're like shut up you're just like no no no, no. i need you to articulate this better <laughs> yeah so eleanor says that marianne is probably right She should believe Eleanor's feelings to be stronger than she's going to admit. And I like that for their relationship that she's like, listen, you know me, but take a step back. She says they don't know how he feels. She's pretty sure that he likes her, but they also have to consider his sister and his mom and their social status. Marianne is absolutely shocked that she has misread this situation. She basically thought they were already engaged. But then she says delaying their engagement has two benefits. One, she won't lose Eleanor so soon. And two, Eddie has more time to improve his taste. Eleanor's kind of vibing on the the wavelength of your friend who's dating a guy and there's something wrong with him and you appreciate him because he treats your friend well. But you're kind of like, <laughs> Wait, Eleanor or Marianne? Marianne is feeling that way. Yes. Yeah. She's like, all right, <laughs> if it makes you happy. Kind of like Lizzie saying, you've liked stupider people to Jane at the beginning. Exactly. Of That's the vibe. Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. So... Eleanor has noticed that there's sometimes a kind of dejectedness about Eddie, that he gets kind of depressed, and she thinks it's probably due to 
his, quote, dependent situation, which forbade the indulgence of his affection. But I did notice she says before she even says that, she says that she or she thinks in her head if he had doubts of her feelings for him, that would like merely be an inconvenience. Like it wouldn't make him as sad as she's noticed him. Which makes me feel like she has low self-esteem because she's like, it wasn't, I'll just, I'll read it to you. What it says is, there was at times a want of spirits about him, which, if it did not denote indifference, spoke of something almost as unpromising. A doubt of her regard, supposing him to feel it, need not give him more than inquietude. It would not be likely to produce that dejection of mind which frequently attended him. Basically, she's saying like, if he thought I didn't like him, like, it wouldn't make him this sad. Like, that's kind of sad. Like, she doesn't think that he cares as much about her as she does about him. Yeah, I also think it's kind of just like, well, I can't be all that's on his mind right now. Like, I couldn't be causing this much pain for him. But I want her to think that she is. Listen, Eleanor is a woman of too many things going on in her head, too many ways to logic out of a situation. I think that our listeners know which of us is which by our response. I am 100% an Eleanor. And I just screamed, but I want her to think that she's all that matters. (laughs) So Eleanor knows that Eddie's mother, quote, neither behaved to him so as to make his home comfortable at present, nor to give him any assurance that he might form a home for himself without strictly attending to her views for his aggrandizement, which I looked up. And it is the noun form of the verb aggrandize or to increase the power of or reputation of something and it usually implies that there's some exaggeration going on basically that she has big dreams for her boy and she is like you're only gonna follow these dreams otherwise I'm not helping you have you ever had any like really rich people in your life who like have this sort of curse on them where they like their parents are like oh you're gonna go to this private school then you're gonna go to go ivy league then you're gonna work as an analyst or you're gonna go to law school or you're gonna go to med school but you have to make as much money as I did and then you have to get married and have kids and you have to find somebody in one of those professional programs so they're just as impressive as you so you can have this sort of lifestyle that I have. I've heard of that happening. I don't know if I know anyone personally. I know people like that. They're usually pretty miserable. Sometimes they're not. Don't want to make judgments, but that is what we're seeing with Eddie here. He's got it. He doesn't fit that mold that his mother wants him to fit. I kind of I know that Eddie can't draw, but when you said that, I just really got the desire for Eddie to become an artist. (laughs) That's like the classic big fear of these rich families. Like, my son will become an artist. Oh, man. Oh, man. Wait, I want him to be an artist. (laughs) He's going to end up with Eleanor and she's going to teach him how to draw. It's on the record. You know what I really want for Eddie? I want him to move in with Mary in Bushwick, not in a romantic way, in a like Craigslist roommate situation kind of way. And have them both, like, just become friends that way. I kind of want, if I didn't think that he was going to end up with Eleanor, I would want him to be gay and I want would want them to be gay roommates together. Oh, I'd be so into that. Wow, that's a fan fiction that probably exists. You don't know how the rest of the book goes. I do, though. Yeah, Becca does. I don't think he's going to end up gay because I don't actually think that Jane Austen would outright do that in any of these books, but... Who knows? I mean, depends how you read Darcy and Bingley on a horse. Yeah. Oh, they're gay. They're Everyone's <laughs> gay. We've already determined that everyone in Pride and Prejudice is gay. So now it's time to determine how everyone in Sense and Sensibility is gay. Yes, exactly. So, so far, Eddie, probably bi. Marianne, definitely bi. That's what I've got so far. So Eleanor thinks that sometimes they're just friends. Like, she sometimes doubts their relationship, which, like, I feel like at this time, you can't be hanging out with someone of the opposite gender that frequently and just be friends. But like, whatever, Eleanor. So 
whether or not they're just friends, the attention that he gives to Eleanor is enough to make Fanny a bitch. In the book, it says uncivil, but... Fuck Fanny. Fuck Fanny Dashwood. She constantly brings up to Mrs. Dashwood that her mother wants both of her sons, or both of Fanny's brothers, to marry well. I would like to note, he has a brother? Is that brother going to be important? Who knows? She's such a bitch that basically Mrs. Dashwood is like, we need to get out of here when really she had been trying to like give it space and like wait until their grieving period was up. Now she's like, no, fuck that. We're leaving. Conveniently, a letter arrives for her shortly thereafter, inviting her to come to her husband's estate where he has a cottage for them. It's Barton Park is the park and Barton Cottage is the cottage. And I think in the letter, he actually first invites them to come visit. Like He says, I have a cottage, like come see it whenever. But I don't think they do that. I think they're like, we'll move in immediately. I do think she kind of did put out like a signal to everyone, like kind of like Facebook posted like, hey, I'm getting kicked out of my house. Anybody got a situation I can get to? And then her random cousin was like, oh, man, that sucks. Oh, okay. I thought so. Did they say that she asked her family? I think she did. Or like that it was known because her husband died. That makes sense. It was known. It's the plight of the Dashwoods is not kept secret. People know that they're destitute. That makes sense. I have some thoughts about John Middleton that I will get into, but he seems very nice. He sends them this letter. He's like, please come. She says, yes, we will. So actually, I'm going to get into it now. It almost felt flirty. And I know that he's her cousin, but like, that's not a problem. We already know that's not a problem. We all know that's chilling Jane Austen. The fact that he's married to a much younger woman and has more than one child could be a problem. But I kind of think that maybe this is the book where she goes for the big drama. I will neither confirm nor deny. She's literally swirling her tea around in her cup right now. We'll put a pin in his flirty nature for now. But like on the record, listeners, I think that he's trying to get it. I think you're also really picking up on the fact that like this isn't really a spoiler to say, but John Middleton is extraordinarily outgoing. Yes. And I also would like to think that he is hot. Who plays him in the movie? Don't tell me. Um, Okay. So... The park and the cottage are super far from their current home, which before Fanny started bullying her, Mrs. Dashwood would have been like, that's too far. But now she's like, hell yeah, let's get as far away from this fucking hellhole as possible. So (laughs) they go. She writes back to John Middleton and she shows the letters to her daughters before she sends them, which I think is a nice move. I I know that I've said this already, but Mrs. Dashwood is my favorite character. I also love, like, this is such a passive-aggressive move on her part. She's like, yeah, we're going far. Yeah, it's going to be hard for us. Goodbye. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to note, before we get to the very end of this chapter, she shoo the letters to her daughters, and shoo is another word that comes up a lot in this book. And I was shocked because I have never heard this word before in my life. It was not in any of Pride and Prejudice. It just is an old-fashioned way of saying show or, like, the past tense. Showed. Showed, yeah. But sometimes it seems present tense, but probably not. It's probably always past tense. Anyway, shoe, that's what it means. And Eleanor has no objections. She cannot object because it's cheap. And she says this is very reasonable, which is sad because I wanted her to stay close to her boy, Eddie. But that's the end of that chapter. Yes, it is. Which brings us to chapter five. Beginning with Mrs. Dashwood telling John and Fanny that they have a place and will incommode them no longer, which just means will inconvenience them no longer with their presence. And John, the weenie that he is, 
is like, oh, I hope you won't be settling too far. And then it says that Mrs. Dashwood has the satisfaction of telling him that they will be settling quite far. Yeah, she's milking this because he wants to think he's not the bad guy. And she's like, oh, no, let me tell you how much you're the bad guy. Yeah, we're going really far. It's going to take a long time. It's a small place. Yeah, (laughs) I love it. I love her. What a salty, salty queen. This is petty. It's petty. It's petty. Immediately, Eddie is like, no, no. How far? When are you leaving? Where are you going? And I felt for him there. She tells them all that they're more than welcome to come anytime, but especially Eddie, which I also loved, because while she wanted to get away from Fanny to avoid her constant comments about Eleanor and Eddie and all of that, Fanny's comments had not had their intended effect. It says, quote, to separate Edward and Eleanor was as far from being her object as ever. Note how Mr. Bennett doesn't care much about his daughter's prospects. Mrs. Bennett only cares about it from an economic perspective. And Mrs. Dashwood's here being like, my girls, they have love. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I really like her. And I like that she doesn't seem to care that he has a lot of money. Like, it doesn't seem to be about that for her. Basically, Mrs. Dashwood's a bit Moira Rose from Schitt's Creek. Yes. She has the drama. But she is also a heartfelt, like, warm person. The supportive mother. What's the... Wait, hang on. I have to find this quote. Moira Rose. Oh, maybe it's not Moira. I think it's Johnny. But he says, like, I have a pansexual son. <laughs> like, Or, like, I have to let my kids date whoever they want. It's just, like, very Aww. cute. Yeah, she's, like, really, like, on it early in the show when he says he's pansexual. Like, Johnny obviously has, like, some trouble dealing with it, but he, like, comes around. He's like, I just want him to be happy. But Moira from the get-go was like, no, he's happy. I'm not worried about it. Yeah, the quote. Johnny, my son is pansexual. He's, like, trying to understand, and he says that. That's not, it's not a supportive statement. It's just stating a fact, but it's so cute when he says it. Yeah. What a good show. Yeah, Moira is very supportive of both of her kids and I think that that's an excellent comparison here yeah and it's like also for her flaws too the drama the slight remove from reality like that's all part of Mrs. Dashwood as well yeah okay wait so okay okay so Mrs. Dashwood is Moira Rose is Marianne David and is Eleanor Alexis or the other way around I am going to let you decide oh that's hard It's really hard. I don't think I know them well enough yet. Because actually, David is often more, this is what needs to happen. So, okay, David is Eleanor and Marianne is Alexis. Mm. Do you want me to tell you whether or not I agree on that? No, not yet. Okay. Not yet. This is going to be an ongoing journey because I think that- And listeners, this is entirely going to be a spoiler-free Instagram poll at some point. Yes, yes. I think, yeah, it's it's complicated because David and Alexis are both such well-written, complex characters that, like, they are not- stereotypes not to say that Eleanor and Marianne are stereotypes either or not stereotypes archetypes but I think that they might be a little bit more clear-cut than David and Alexis not to say that Dan Levy's a better author than Jane Austen (laughs) (laughs) oh my god no Dan Levy please come on the show okay let's just say for now that those are your predictions all right and we'll I will not surprisingly confirm that or deny that (laughs) thank you Becca Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. 
You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now, back to this episode. So meanwhile, John is being a weenie and he's upset that they're moving so far away because he had hoped to help them move their furniture but now it's too far for him to help because all the furniture is going by boat and fanny watches the furniture go sadly and it says quote she could not help feeling it hard that as mrs dashwood's income would be so trifling in comparison with her own she should have any handsome article of furniture fuck fanny so hard we really didn't get this level of villain in pride and prejudice no we didn't get someone who literally doesn't want any good things for another like i mean wickham doesn't want good things for darcy but like he didn't actively try to take them away i mean he he did but he failed so yeah it's that she's a competent villain she also fights real dirty like the best analogy is somewhere between Catherine de Berg and caroline bingley Mm, yes. But in both of those cases, I doubt either of them would be quite as cruel to family. No, yeah. And also, Caroline Bingley is kind of a hot mess. Like, girl just can't flirt. She can't flirt. She's, yeah. So then they take the cottage for a year, a 12 month, and they can move in immediately. They just wait to go until they've packed up all their stuff at Norland and figure out which servants they're taking with them. They decide to limit it to three, which is Eleanor's idea. And they sell their horses and carriages. Then the servants go ahead, or at least two of the three servants go ahead. I think it said two of the three to prepare the cottage for their arrival because Mrs. Dashwood doesn't want to like spend any time as a guest at Barton Park because she doesn't know Lady Middleton, which was interesting. She could move right away, but she was like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. I wonder if she's got a little pride. Well, it's not in the title, but she could still have it. Yeah, not this time. Not this time. She thinks perhaps now will be the time that John will give them some money to fulfill his promise. But instead, he just keeps talking about how his expenses have been increasing and all this stuff, basically to make sure she doesn't expect anything from him. Oh, sorry. I'd love to, but I can't. Mm. 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 You know that sound? Yeah. It's like that scrunched mm. face that yeah. Molly and I are both scrunching our faces. Mm. Sorry. Can't do it. Yeah. So finally, the time comes to leave Norland, and Marianne 
is an absolute drama queen. And I need to read this quote directly. It's very cherry orchard for all my Chekhov stands out there. I haven't read the cherry orchard, but I believe you. At the end of the cherry orchard, they all sit Spoiler on Spoiler alert for the cherry orchard. Spoiler alert for the cherry orchard. They sell the cherry orchard and they all are forced to leave their home. Basically the same thing as what's happening here, except- Except that this happens at the beginning and that happens at the end. Yes, exactly. So they all sit on their- suitcases and say goodbye to the house and then they all leave but they forget their lot their servant and he wakes up and he's like where'd everyone go anyway it's and it's customary in russia to like sit on your suitcase and say goodbye to an empty room so that's what this feels like especially the trees though this is the most cherry orchard part about it so wait it's customary in russia to sit on a suitcase and say goodbye to an empty room yeah any russian listeners please like slap me to the ground on that if i'm wrong but that's what they told us when we studied abroad there so we all sat on our suitcases and said goodbye to our empty rooms and maybe they just wanted us to make us look stupid but I'm sure it's a lovely tradition but I hope it's not true just because it'd be funny if they were just fucking with their American tourists (laughs) well because it's in the cherry orchard so like they were like oh yeah this is common in Russian heritage whatever so yeah I know we have at least one Russian listener so please shred me apart okay hem 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 Dear, dear Norland, said Marianne as she wandered alone before the house on the last evening of their being there, when shall I cease to regret you? When learn to feel a home elsewhere? Oh, happy house, could you know what I suffer in now viewing you from this spot, from whence perhaps I may view you no more? And you, ye well-known trees, but you will continue the same. No leaf will decay because we are removed, nor any branch become motionless, although we can observe you no longer. No, you will continue the same, unconscious of the pleasure or the regret you occasion, and insensible of any change in those who walk under your shade. But who will remain to enjoy you? Queen. (laughs) She lives for the drama. She's saying this all with a black lace veil on. Oh, absolutely. I relate. (laughs) And I love her. I love her so much. So that's the the going out with a bang of that chapter. So we move into chapter six. They travel to, uh, I almost said Brighton. (laughs) They travel to Barton. And they're pretty depressed until they get there and they see how pretty it is. We've got a small green court. And it says that a small green court was the whole of its demesne, which means land attached to a manor and retained for the owner's own use or otherwise. So a yard. A yard um, <laughs> or a lawn. And it had a neat wicket gate. And I have some notes on the word wicket, which is not related to Jane Austen at all. The first wicket on its own is a kind of gate, according to Google. So that is saying like a gate gate. Like a chai tea. Like a chai tea. Tea tea. Wicket is also the name of the Ewok that Leia befriends in Return of the Jedi, the Star Wars film. And his name, his full name is Wicket W. Warwick. And he is played by Warwick Davis. And I just think that's neat. It's great. We've got another alliteration game there because we've got Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, Wicket Warwick and Warwick Davis. Mm. Warwick Davis is not an alliteration. I I do love that you named three things together as if they all go perfectly together. (laughs) Two Jane Austen books and a Star Wars character. There was a Twitter thing going around that was like, make an unofficial trilogy. And I retweeted it with Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, and Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) And I thought it was really funny. (laughs) I think it's great. Follow us on Twitter, fans. Thanks. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, aside from that nice little alliteration thing, as a house... The cottage is small and compact, but apparently 
It fails as a cottage. This might be my favorite part. Like this might be my funniest quote. It fails as a cottage because it has a normal roof. Its shutters aren't green and the walls are not covered with honeysuckles. So basically it's not cottage core enough for them. Yeah, basically they've gone to Barton, which is in the south of England. They're like gone to the sea. They're not on the sea, but they're like in the sea area now. So (laughs) I totally pictured this is like in the mountains. And maybe that's because I've been watching too many Pride and Prejudice adaptations. I mean, it's hilly, I'm sure. I don't know exactly. This is, I I had looked this up. It's in Devon, correct? Devonshire, yeah. Devonshire. Okay, so we're going to pull up Devonshire as a map on my phone. Ah, we're both right. It's in the mountains and the sea? The north and the south coasts of Devon each have both cliffs and sandy shores. And the county's bays contain seaside resorts, fishing towns, and ports. The inland terrain is rural, generally hilly, and has a low population density, lower than many other parts of England. So it's kind of like coastal Connecticut. Yes, we're in coastal Connecticut. So they're picturing something a little bit more picturesque, but what they see is just kind of a small house. And like the house isn't small by our standards. I live in a one bedroom apartment. Yeah, it has four bedrooms, two garrets, uh, two sitting rooms, a hallway, a nice garden. Like it's not they're not suffering that's like some serious goals on zillow right there but (laughs) you have to remember they're coming from a pemberley sized house (sighs) fine is barton park like pemberley like is their estate pemberley sized it's big like it's a big manor so how rich is this man that they're coming to live near He's he's wealthy. We know that much. And he, his wife comes from wealth as well. His wife will get there, but I kind of feel like his wife sucks. <laughs> Becca will neither confirm nor deny. Yeah. I do feel like when they get here, this is kind of like that meme I sent you today where it's Jess from New Girl and she's saying, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I've led a very fortunate life. <laughs> you think it's like this now, but like at least these problems are they're somewhat real like at this point like they've been uprooted from their home that's true I would not be in a good place if I were them either yeah they have no money none like they have enough to they're they're staying here partially out of the good will and generosity of a cousin who may or may not be trying to get it they don't have any means to live any more luxuriously than at the most modest level in this cabin yeah I guess it's a downgrade for sure. It's a huge downgrade. I'll give them that. It's like the Rose family moving into the motel in Schitt's Creek. Like, yes, they can live in hotel rooms. They can go to eat at restaurants every night, apparently. Yeah, every single night. Every single meal. Not even every (laughs) single night. Every single meal they go out to eat. And they're like, we're broke. We've discussed the parallels between Schitt's Creek and Pride and Prejudice. But is Schitt's Creek based on Sense and Sensibility? (laughs) Because so far, I think it might be. I mean, I I had not put together the pieces before, but that's all I'll say. Well, when we get Dan Levy on the show, we'll have to ask him. So, yeah, they're all a little disappointed by the house, like you said. But they pretend to be happy because they're trying to keep the mood up. They're in the middle of a valley and the hill. Well, they're kind of in a dip. And then I think the hills go down. There's a lot of description of the land. And I feel like Jane Austen was just trying to throw me off track here. She like kept talking about the hills and like describing the sweeping landscapes. And I'm like, I don't feel like that's what this was about a minute ago. But we get really into it, which is why I thought we were in the mountains. It sounds very pretty, though. I think we kind of 
are in the mountains, if that makes you feel any better. Like, we're in the mountainous seaside. Like, we're talking about a lot of cliffs and stuff. All right. Okay. Yeah, I could. Oh, oh, is it kind of like I'm picturing um the place where Dobby goes to die? Yes. Sorry, spoiler alert for Harry Potter. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, that it's on the outskirts of Wentworth. I'm looking this up. It's like Sheep's Cove or sh- something like it's that. It's Shell Cottage. Shell Cottage. Thank you. <laughs> Sheep's Cove. Okay, so I'm picturing like cliffs and water and hills and they're kind of a little bit more inland. It already comes furnished, which like makes the concept of adding furniture seem very unnecessary. But she really wanted to bring her own Mrs. Dashwood. So they have all their furniture. Quick side note. Yeah. uh, Dobby's death was filmed in Wales. So we're way far off. Oh, wait. So but Wales is by the water. Yeah. Yeah. But Britain's an island. Yeah. Devon is south. Wales is west. Oh, but is it the same vibe? I don't think so. Damn. That's okay. I'll see the movie. (laughs) Hey, listeners, when this episode comes out, just send Molly pictures of Devon where the Dashwoods would have gone. Yeah, I know that we have some British listeners. And by some, I mean like 50% of our listeners are British. And like I could continue to keep butchering your geography on Wikipedia. But we all know that you guys do it better than us on this front. So why don't you just send us some really pretty pictures of where the Dashwoods would have gone in their uh, poverty, but in John Middleton's generosity. Yes, thank you. The most important things to note are they have a really nice view over the town and they're in the hills. It's considered a very good position for a home to be. She goes on to say that the house is too small for their family, which I had some questions about. There are three, four of them. Forgot about Margaret. There are four of them and four bedrooms, plus two garrets or whatever that is. And then, like, do they have a side house for the servants or are they sharing rooms now? Possibly. I mean, the other thing is, like, remember that, like, people stay over in these times. So. They don't really have like a guest room. Right. And I suppose they're far enough away that they would need that for people to come visit them. So like basically they're in quarantine now because they can't have guests for a while. The other thing I would point out is that like my grandmother has been talking for a while about like she's got this really fancy grand piano. It's really nice. Marianne brings a piano too. This is this is what I'm getting at. What you're going to say. She's way too old to play this piano. And So she keeps wanting to give it to me because I'm like the musician grandchild. And I want it. It's a beautiful piano. I'm also planning on living in apartments for the foreseeable future that will not fit a grand piano. So what we have here is all of like these beautiful heirlooms and things that have meaning to this family. Things that make Mrs. Dashwood feel like she hasn't lost her social standing. And she's trying to fit them into a New York City apartment. Yeah, that makes sense. Another thing is that she she goes on a a monologue about all the additions she's going to make to the house. Now, are they renting this place or how is she like, we're going to knock out this wall and add a parlor and like add three bedrooms. And like For one thing, tenants had more rights to do more stuff to their areas back in the day. Uh, for another, John Middleton's kind of just letting them stay there out of the goodness of his heart. The only way they're not staying there is if like they decide to leave. Got it. So like, He's a chill landlord. I've had friends who like knock down walls or paint them when they have a chill landlord. Yeah, I guess to me that's just like so bonkers because like then they have to rent it to someone else. And what if that person didn't want that? Think about it this way. If you're renting an apartment and someone has painted your walls teal, like a really, really light teal or a really light like terracotta pink or something compared to getting the white room 
usually get, it's not that bad. Right. Also, usually landlords do a fresh bank job whenever anybody else moves in anyway. Yeah, I guess. And I mean, it's not like the worst thing ever to have three extra bedrooms in the house that you're leasing. Also, if you leave a shelf up, who cares? Like, the person will have more storage. Yeah, I left a shelf up in my New York apartment. They're fixtures now. (laughs) Yeah. Gosh, it's just was such a different time back then. So she also says, like, at the end of that monologue, she says, but I don't really have the money for that right now. I'll see how much I have in the spring and we can plan accordingly uh but she's not getting a job or anything so i don't really know what she thinks is gonna change she thinks they have income and she just like won't spend it and it'll like build up over time but like they have expenses what is their income coming from the deaf yeah it's a like a negligible amount of money oh it's like isn't like 500 we talked about it in episode one of like how much they were each getting from their father slash husband's death yeah. Yeah. So, like, it's not a lot, but, like, they have enough to not starve. Got it. But she's like, oh, we'll save it. And Eleanor's like, we'll spend it on food and our servants. Eleanor's like, you've never saved a penny in your life. And yep. they're all kind of just like, all right, content for now with how this is. So they make it really cozy with Marianne's piano and Eleanor's drawings and, like, each have something of home there. And it seems pretty nice. The next day, John Middleton comes to call on them. He's about 40, very handsome and very friendly, and he begs them to dine at Barton Park until they're better settled, like until they have groceries, basically. I found that he kind of bordered on Collins level over accommodation. Like he's very much like, please come, please have my vegetables and my game and like all this stuff. But it's not annoying when he does it. He's not as simperingly awful as Collins. He is quite chatty yes i like him i think he would be a good match for mrs dashwood but that might be really far off (laughs) lady middleton sends a very civil message by him saying she'll call on lady dashwood when she's settled and lady dashwood invites her to come the next day and they're all anxious to meet this woman because their comfort at barton park depends on her liking them she comes she's 26 or 27 basically like our age She's very graceful, very tall, very pretty and elegant in contrast with her husband, who is loud and probably short, I guess. And she lacks his warmth. So she's like cold and I don't like her. She's barely had anything to say to them, but the conversation doesn't really lag because she brought their six year old son. And whenever the conversation starts to lag, they comment on the kid, like ask him a question and then his parents answer or they are like, oh, who does he look more like his mother, or his father or Lady? I have her written here as Lady M, which makes me think Lady Macbeth, which is maybe why I don't like her, even though I love Lady Macbeth. No, I mean, she's she's clearly not as fun as Sir John. No, yeah, definitely not. I did like this thing about the child. It says. On every formal visit, a child ought to be of the party by way of provision for discourse. It kind of reminds me of like there was a meme that I saw a while ago that was like every Thanksgiving dinner, like family dinner, when you have like all your family gathered in one place and everyone is just like, so what's the dog doing now? And everyone looks at the dog and the dog is just sitting there like. It's basically that like you point to the cute thing in the room and everyone's like, that's cute. And then I was like, oh, the baby smiled or like, yeah. So that's what this felt like. And I liked it a lot. Then. They agree to dine at Barton Park the next day and the Middletons leave. And that is the end of that chapter. All right. That brings us to Becca's study questions. This was a long one. Yeah, it was. So first one, thoughts on Eddie. Are we team Ellen Ed? Ed Lenore? Team. L word? 
L word. <laughs> sounds like Squidward. I was thinking it sounds like the the TV show. Oh yeah, the L word. I am team them. I really like Eddie. I think that he is a sweet boy, if an awkward boy. Not Darcy levels of awkward. And not Bingley levels of sweet, but just kind of a nice person. Yeah, that's very fair. Uh, So my second question is, we see these two sisters interact for the first time in this chapter, in this set of chapters, I suppose. And I I wondered if you wanted to say anything about the dynamic between the sisters. What do we learn about them in their conversation with each other? They do seem to have like a good friendship going. They understand each other at like, their essence I think and they're not afraid to joke with each other or at least Marianne's not afraid to joke with Eleanor and Eleanor understands where Marianne's jokes come from in the first few chapters I didn't feel like they were very like I was like oh they're not like best friends they're just like siblings I don't think that they're Jane and Lizzie level of best friends but I I do think that they have a really good friendship going on there's not the stand culture that there is between Lizzie and Jane in Pride and Prejudice, but there is this love but different worldview aspect to their relationship, you know? Yeah, I think that they complement each other well. It's very interesting. I, This isn't giving much away, but my favorite parts of this book are the interactions between Eleanor and Marianne. Yeah, I like that. Got a lot of feelings about it. All right. I wrote down to the sea we go. This is a seaside tale. <laughs> Me being like, oh, we're by the sea. Well, I was like, tell her it's by the sea. Well, what do you make of it being by the sea? All right. Well, coastal Connecticut is very important to me in my art making. I lived in coastal Connecticut for a year, and I think that it really affected what I romanticized. Not that there was anything to romanticize while I was in coastal Connecticut, except for like the water and the kind of land and like the dampness of the air in the morning and I don't know like I can feel it you know and so I definitely romanticize seaside tales um cottages absolutely so I think that I'm excited for that aspect of this yeah we got a we got a vibe going in this one don't we yeah we have a vibe there's like sea and there's a cottage and there's cliffs and it's a vibe it's a whole vibe there's like a bit more of a wildness to it not a huge amount of wildness but a bit more of a wildness to it yeah it's it's great it's kind of like I mean it's that one shot of Pride and Prejudice where Lizzie's standing at the edge of a cliff like and wind is blowing at her yes and like also at fucking last we're not in a mansion yeah we're in a cottage yeah and it's like it's a house that we can cognize in terms of like it looks like a house like at least we've been in before yes it even like they say as a home it was perfectly serviceable or something but as a cottage it failed because it looked too much like a normal house and I was like yeah great it's a house in all seriousness what do you make of the newfound poverty relatively speaking of the Dashwoods I definitely like thinking about it like the roses in Schitt's Creek that helps me contextualize why they are depressed because the house is nice and the stuff is nice but they have lost their social standing I don't know if any of them have really noticed that except for Eleanor She's the only one kind of thinking about like what that means for her. But I do like that these people do have actual problems, which I think that in Pride and Prejudice, it was like, these are silly people who are upset about silly things. Yes. I mean, to be fair, there were stakes in Pride and Prejudice, but the stakes have stuck in this one. Like all of Mrs. Bennett's fears are happening to Mrs. Dashwood right now. Exactly. Yes. This book is like what 
Mrs. Bennett woke up screaming from. Exactly. So last question before our standbys. What do you think is going to happen at dinner? Oh, we're going to meet another boy. We're going to meet another boy. (laughs) We're going to meet another boy. We have to, right? I mean, there has to be a boy because when we got to Rosings, I was like, Darcy's going to be there, obviously. So we're going to dinner at Barton Park. They probably have a nephew or someone like going to be a nephew or, or a pal. I don't know. A pal. (laughs) They're Cocker Spaniel. (laughs) Oh, I hope they have dogs. There are dogs in this one too, right? We've established this. There are dogs. There are always dogs. Thank goodness. Um, I don't know. I think we'll meet a boy. I think we are going to find out that Mrs. Middleton, Lady Middleton, kind of sucks. Like, I just have a feeling that she's going to suck. And that's, that's, that's my prediction. Funniest quote? All right. This is it. And we've talked about this a lot already, but I just think that... This whole thing about Barton Cottage not being a cottage is so funny. And I just, I think I just said this, actually. We'll say it again. Yeah. As a house, Barton Cottage, though small, was comfortable and compact. But as a cottage, it was defective. For the building was regular, the roof was tiled, the window shutters were not painted green, nor were the walls covered with honeysuckles. Excellent choice. Thank you. Questions moving forward. Questions moving forward. What's going to happen at dinner? TBH, I hadn't even thought of that before you asked me, but like they do have to go to dinner and there's always some sort of drama. So what's going to happen there? Is this the last we're going to see of Fanny and John? I'm crossing my fingers because I kind of hope that that's the last of them, but I'm sure that it's not. And um, I'm interested also about their servants. I, I want to know more. I'm sure that we won't, but that's a question I have. All right. And who wins the chapters? Oh, gosh. Did I say Mrs. Dashwood in episode one? I think you did. Hmm. All right. I'll give this one to Marianne for her speech to the trees. Great pick. All right, guys. That concludes this episode of Pod and Prejudice. Thank you so much for joining us. Next week, I think we're reading chapters seven through nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Until then, stay proper. And stay sensible. <laughs> Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.